my family and I, we've been we've been trying our best to live in a bubble through this whole thing. You know, we we are um, we're trying to stay in our faith and keep our spirits real high. So we hadn't been doing a lot of news, hadn't been doing a lot of, you know, just feeding on the negative information. And uh, we've been working on the church, remodeling the church. And so we've been busy every day because there's a lot of uh, work to be done in there. And, uh, and and in our busyness and in not really watching the news, I, I haven't really been aware of everything that's going on. There seems like there's new changes and new protocols every single day. And I went to the gas station and I got out and pumped my gas and I was thirsty and I decided I'd go get me an orange Gatorade because I love orange Gatorade. There's just something about orange Gatorade. And so I, I wanted to go get me an orange Gatorade and I, I walked into the gas station and they said, stop, you have to have a mask. I said, I don't have a mask. They said, then you have to leave. And so I couldn't get my orange Gatorade. And I went back to my car and I started, I started looking, thinking maybe, you know, just a mask would appear and there wasn't no mask in my car. But I had a, an old T-shirt uh, back, back in my car. And so I got the T-shirt and I wrapped it around my face and I walked into the store to get my orange Gatorade with a T-shirt around my face. And as I, as I was walking back to my car, I got a glimpse of myself, uh, a reflection in, in, the, in the car window. And I looked so ridiculous standing there with a T-shirt wrapped around my face. And I thought to myself, what in the world is this civilization coming to? It's just crazy. And, uh, and somebody asked me, they said, well, you know, you're going to preach in a mask today. I said, there is no way I'm going to preach in a mask today. There's just no way I'm going to preach in a mask today. And, uh, but, but I, was, I was considering and thinking about it, and I realized we've, we've lost a lot lately in our society. We've lost a lot in our lifestyles. Our lifestyles have been sealed off and greatly mitigated. We've lost some of our freedoms and some of our liberties, and we've lost some of the things that have made this country a great place to live, and we've lost the ability to go into a restaurant. We've lost the ability to go shopping. We've, we've lost the ability to get access to certain things that we need. And, and then on the other side of it, there have been some people that have lost their lives. There have been some people that have lost their jobs. There's been some people that have lost their hope. And I started thinking about all of the things that we lost. And, and you may be sitting out there listening to me, and you may have had some losses. But I want to remind you, regardless of the things that we've lost, one thing you have not lost is the blessing of God. One thing that you have not lost is the blessing of God. The blessing of God is applied to your life by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ does not just save your soul. Faith in Jesus Christ, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 2, gives you access to stand in a place of grace. And that place of grace is a place of the blessing of God coming upon your life. So you are blessed. Can we settle that? You are blessed. Now, a lot of people struggle, believe it or not, a lot of people struggle to settle that in their hearts and in their minds. They misunderstand blessing. Blessing is a very common word in Christianity, and when something gets so common, it's very easy to misunderstand it and misappropriate what it really is. 
A lot of people think the blessing of God relates to their conditions, their circumstances. When conditions around them are going really well, they feel blessed. When conditions around them are not going well, they do not feel blessed. But the blessing of God has nothing to do with conditions. In fact, the blessing of God is a position that you stand in that you were given access to by faith in Jesus Christ. Most people say, oh, I got a new car. Look at me. I'm blessed. Oh, I got a watch. Look at me. I'm blessed. Oh, I got a promotion. Look at me. I'm blessed. Look how much money is in my checking account. Look at me. I'm blessed. But the mature believer knows that if you took all that away from me, I would still be blessed. Oh, hallelujah. Because the blessing of God is not in your stuff, it's in you. God didn't put his blessing in your things. He put his blessing in you. And God has given you the ability that no matter what conditions you walk into, the blessing is not conditional. No matter what conditions you walk into, you walk into them blessed. You are blessed blessed. It's a position, not a condition. Say it to your neighbor so they understand it. It's a position, not a condition. The next thing I want to tell you on my list is that God has given you a grace to live your life and to be who you are. The grace of God is more than just salvation. Paul said Jesus settled the peace treaty. He settled the war we were at with God when he shed his blood. But then he also opened access by faith to a grace for your life that you can stand in. You have a special grace assigned to your life as a believer. You can, you can do things other people cannot do because you have the grace for it. You have a grace for the job you have. Other people may have been more qualified, but you got it because you have a special grace for the job you have. You have a grace for the house you live in. The neighbors down the street couldn't survive in your house. They'd have left a long time ago, but you're able to stand strong in the midst of adversity because you have a grace for your house. You have a grace for the children that you're raising. Other people couldn't raise your kids, Lord Jesus, but you have a grace to raise those kids. Even the fact that you're still here is a testimony of God's grace. There's a lot of things that could have taken you out. There's a lot of reasons you had to be destroyed, but nothing that's come at you so far has been able to succeed because there is a grace over your life. And there's at least one thing. This is true for all of us. There's at least one good thing that keeps happening in your life, that when you look at it, you know you do not deserve. And when you see that thing that keeps happening that's good, and you know you don't deserve it, let me tell you how you got it. You got it because of the grace of God that you were given access to stand in because of your faith in Jesus Christ. The word in the scripture, the word blessing means, listen closely to the definition, it means to be empowered by God to prosper over adversity. I love that. Blessing means to be empowered by God to prosper over adversity. I love that definition because it doesn't guarantee that there will be no adversity. 
It just says that when adversity comes, you won't be able to prosper over overcoming the adversity. The blessing of God, the blessing of God, the blessing of God is a substance. It's supernatural. It's an empowerment that comes upon people that believe in Jesus Christ. And this special grace from God, this blessing, will cause you to flourish and prosper regardless of your environment. Listen to me. Listen to me. Conditions do not matter. Conditions cannot cancel the blessing of God over your life. Situations do not matter. Situations cannot cancel the blessing of God over your life. Pandemics do not matter. Pandemics cannot cancel the blessing of God over your life. How do you know that conditions don't matter? We just read it in the book of Psalms, chapter 1, verse 1. says, blessed is the man. Now listen to the words. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now hold on a second. If the man had the option to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, it means that he was surrounded by them. It means that he was a godly man in an ungodly environment. He was in an environment that was contrary to his purpose and to his faith, but he was still blessed anyway. The conditions and the surrounding circumstances do not control God's ability to bless your life. The believer who's standing in faith is standing in grace. And the enemy cannot thwart your position in God when you are standing in grace by faith. Somebody honk your horn and give God praise if you believe it. Verse 1, verse 1 proves that a person can be blessed and yet surrounded by ungodly counsel, ungodly people, ungodly problems, ungodly circumstances, and still be blessed. Now, some people do not recognize the blessing of God in their lives because they're surrounded by problems. They're waiting on a grace from God that will just remove all the problems, but it does not work like that. God's grace empowers you to be blessed in spite of the problems. In some seasons of your life, God's blessing will be revealed by open doors, by healing, by victory, and by miracles that bring you out of trouble. In other seasons, God's blessing will be proven in your life by the fire that you were able to be thrown in and yet survive and walk around through the fire you were going through. The reality is God's grace has allowed some of us to walk through things that were way too hot for us, to walk through things that should have destroyed us, to walk through things that should have taken us all the way out. Anybody else would have died. Anybody else would have quit. But you were able to walk through what would have killed most people, and it was the grace of God. We have been in a situation where we've been pressed but not crushed persecuted but not abandoned pressed down but not destroyed 
like the three Hebrew boys, we're in the fire, but we're still walking around. We're going through the persecution, but we're still moving forward. And it's the grace that enables us to be covered. It's the grace of God that enables us to be protected. It is the grace that's on your life that's allowing you to do what you're able to do. If you still got groceries in your house, it's the grace of God. If you still got running water, it's the grace of God. If you still got a door you can close and lock, it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. So, so in this message, number one, I wanted to remind you that as a believer in Jesus Christ, positionally, you are standing in grace. Regardless of your conditions, regardless of how you feel, regardless of if you had a holy week or a hellish week, because of what Jesus has done, you are positionally standing in the grace of God. Number two, that grace needs to be guarded. That grace you have needs to be guarded. Hence the title of my message, Guard Your Grace. Look at somebody and say, Guard Your your grace. Psalms chapter 1 is simply instruction to blessed people to guard the grace of God in their life. He gives three guards that you should stand up in your life to help you guard your grace. Guard number one, he said, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. I always heard this preached when I was a little boy, and people would preach it from the perspective, uh, stay away from, from evil people, stay away from, from wicked people, ungodly people. But that's not what the text is saying. In the text, he's not talking about people. In the text, he's talking about their counsel and what they say. And the truth of the matter is, you don't have to be an evil person to give me ungodly counsel. Are you listening to me? In fact, you can be a believer, you can be saved, and yet still give me ungodly counsel. Ungodly counsel doesn't mean that you are immoral or that you're evil. Ungodly counsel just means that you gave me instruction, you gave me advice, you spoke words over my life that are not in sync with God's purpose and God's plan and God's word over my life. The counsel of the ungodly becomes ungodly when it violates God's purpose over your life. And God's purpose can clearly be seen in his word. So all you have to do to be the counsel of un the ungodly for me is share things with me or speak to me or advise me with any counsel that is contrary to what God has spoken over my life. Let me give you an example. Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples. Jesus loved Peter. Peter was saved. Peter was the first apostle of the New Testament church that preached the inaugural message on the day of Pentecost. It was Peter that had the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and the Son of God. And Jesus said, based off the rock of this revelation, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter was awesome. But when Jesus said he was on his way to the cross, Peter got in front of him and said, Lord, I'll never let you go to the cross. 
And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus called Peter Satan in that moment. Because when Peter said, I won't let you go to the cross, that was ungodly counsel that was contrary to Jesus' purpose. Now, on the other hand, Jesus looked at Judas, the man that sold him out, the man that betrayed him. And when Judas came to lead the people to arrest Jesus, Jesus looked at Judas and called him friend. He called Peter, his closest disciple, Satan. And he looked at Judas, his enemy, and called him friend. Why? Because Jesus knew that God was going to use the evil that Judas meant to do, and God was going to make it work for good according to his purpose. So the counsel of the ungodly is any counsel that violates the purpose of God for your life. And Psalms chapter 1 says it's a guard for your grace to refuse to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Now this is a tall order for me to preach today because seven days a week, 24 hours a day on your TV screen and on your social media feed, you are being flooded hours on end with constant information that is the counsel of the ungodly. They're spreading fear and negativity and lies and perpetrating lies as facts, and they're pumping your spirit full of the counsel of the ungodly. And I have one measly hour on Sundays to get up here and try to pull faith back up out of you. And I want to tell you, God said, you will be blessed if you refuse to walk and live your life after the counsel of the ungodly. If God said it, we believe it. If God didn't say it, it's not for me. If God didn't say it, it's not for my family. If God didn't say it, it's not for my life. It's the counsel of the ungodly. And you got to be careful the words that you listen to because words that are not congruent with your purpose are poison. I'm going to say it again. Words that are not congruent with your purpose are poison to your spirit. And you got to be careful. You need to inspect your circle. Because whoever has access to your ear shapes your thoughts. And the scripture still says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You got to be careful about what you're thinking about during this time. You got to be careful about the stream of consciousness and the stream of thoughts that become the stream of communications and words that come out of you. Because as you think, your life begins to take on the trajectory of your thinking. The counsel of the ungodly is all around you, but the scripture says you'll be blessed if you do not walk in it. Guard number two, he says, nor stands in the path of sinners. That word path there, it means pathology or lifestyle, your habitual patterns, the way you live your life. I was taught for years in, in early church that your lifestyle determined whether or not you were saved. And I later found out that that is not true. It's whether or not you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive his grace. That salvation is not that salvation is not by our works lest any man should boast, 
but salvation is by the free gift, the free grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But yet, if you have been saved, if you have been filled with the Spirit of Jesus, if you have received the incorruptible seed of the Word of God into your spirit and into your heart, at some point the Lord will begin to draw you and convict you and pull you away of negative pathologies, negative behaviors, negative habits, and negative lifestyles. Sometimes God will speak to you about giving certain things up or giving certain people up or giving certain habits up, giving up certain behaviors that, that you do. Not because it determines your salvation, because it determines your sanctification. Salvation and sanctification are two different things. First, God saves us, and then he takes us through a process of sanctifying and purifying us so that he can use us. God doesn't just want to save you and, and leave you sitting on a shelf. God wants to save you so that he can use your life. But in order for him to use you for the purpose he has for you, he has to take you through the process of sanctification. That means cutting certain things off. That means repenting of certain behaviors. Repenting doesn't mean falling at an altar and saying, God, I'm sorry, and boohooing and crying. Repenting means to turn and go in another direction. And so sometimes because God loves you and because God is committed to you and because you matter to God. Sometimes when you won't listen to his gentle voice drawing you away from those negative habits and negative pathologies and negative lifestyles. Sometimes when you won't take your own knife out and cut and sever ties with certain relationships that are not healthy for you and certain environments that are not healthy for you. Sometimes God will he'll start off gentle and then he'll send strong word to you. He'll send strong conviction to you. He'll send strong urges to you to cut off the those negative things in your pathology. And then if you still won't listen, sometimes God will turn your world upside down and start to shake everything around you to give you a final opportunity to listen to the message that he wants you to make some modifications to your lifestyle. Not in order for you to be saved, but because you have been saved, it's time to modify some things in your lifestyle. And what I believe part of the reason of this pandemic and part of the things that we are going through during this time, I believe part of it is God sending a shaking and a discipline to us to allow us the opportunity to modify our lifestyle. He shut down our lifestyle. He closed down every place we could go. He put us all in the house on quarantine. He allowed us the space and the opportunity to amend our lifestyles and to make some necessary changes. And I want to tell you, I hope you use this time wisely. There's some changes that you've been meeting needing to make for the last few years. There's some relationships and some places that you need to stop revisiting. There's some things that you've needed to stop doing and God has brought this time as an opportunity to give you a detox from those negative environments and those negative people and all of those negative pathologies. It's an opportunity for you to detox so that when he begins to use you on the other side of this, he can use you for the fulfillment of his 
purpose. So he says in Psalms, don't stand in the pathology of sinners. Don't stand in a lifestyle of habitual sin. Are you going to fall and make mistakes? Yes. But when you fall, get back up. Don't just stay stuck in the pathology of sinful behavior that is against the law and instruction of the Word of God. It's an opportunity for us to sanctify ourselves. It's an opportunity for us to put the knife to certain old cords in our life that has bound us for years. It's an opportunity for, to you, for you to be freer than you have ever been in your life. So don't stand in the way of sinners. It's a guard for your grace. And then finally, the third guard, he said, don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Now, I want, I want all the faithful people, I want all the leaders, I want all the people that are used to church to hear me real close on this. I want musicians to hear me and ushers to hear me. I want, I want people that are used to putting their hand to the plow to hear me. Bitterness is the secret weapon of the enemy against your grace. I'm going to say it again. Bitterness, listen to me, bitterness and offense gives the enemy access to your heart. And the enemy knows he can't do anything about the position of grace that you're standing in. The Bible says no man can pluck you out of the hands of God. So because the enemy knows that, the enemy will use offense as a spy, as a special agent, as a secret weapon to find a root place in your heart and create a door of access, not that he uses to block you, but that you use to block yourself. So the enemy will play on words that you hear. He'll play on little tendencies to get a temper tantrum or get mad at somebody in the church. He'll, he'll try to manipulate your mind against your leaders and your pastors and your elders. He'll try to do everything he can to find a foothold somewhere down in your spirit through offense. And when the enemy can find a foothold for offense, slowly he begins to toxify that offense until it becomes bitterness. And bitterness, when it is full grown, becomes scorn. You cannot move forward when you're in bitterness. Somebody hear me. I'm helping you. You cannot move forward if you are in bitterness. Regardless of how much grace you've received from God, regardless of how much word you know, regardless of how you serve the church, regardless of how you give your tithe and give your offering, regardless of what you do, you cannot move forward with bitterness in your heart. How do I know that? Bitterness immobilizes you. Did you hear me? I said bitterness immobilizes you. How do you know that? He said, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, that stands not in the path of sinners, and finally, that sits not in the seat of the scornful. Why does he call it the seat of the scornful? Because that's what bitter people do. 
They sit down stuck in their bitterness and unforgiveness. They sit down stuck stewing in all of the things, their perceived hurts and the things that happened to them. And I want to tell you, if you're holding on to unforgiveness, if you're holding on to bitterness, or if you're holding on to the early embryonic stages of that called offense, you need to let it go. You need to release it out of your spirit. You need to refuse to hold on to it any longer. Listen to what the scripture says. The scripture says to, to believers in the church, if you have any ought, that word ought is offense. If you have any ought or any offense against your brother or sister in Christ or against a leader or against somebody in the church or against another member, if you have any offense, go to them and talk to them about it. Confess it. Get it out in the open. In other words, get it out of you. Bring it to the table of conversation. Get another leader to go with you and bring resolution to the matter as quickly as possible. Why? Because the apostles did not want believers to give the enemy a foothold of offense that would turn into bitterness, that would turn into scorn, that would cause them to stop being able to move forward in the grace God had put them in. Get, out, get offense out. Get bitterness out. If you, if you know, nobody thinks they're bitter. You know, if you took a survey today, nobody would check the bitterness box, you know. Nobody thinks they're bitter. But when you notice your thoughts and you notice your communication, when there's more negative words than positive, when there's more hateful words than there are healing words, when there's more frustration than there is faith, if you will check what's coming out of you, the scripture says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can tell what's really inside a person by inspecting their speech. And if there's bitterness in you, I mean, I don't care how many scriptures you can quote. If there's bitterness in you, bitterness will pollute your freshwater fountain. Bitterness will pollute your faith. Bitterness will pollute your ability to believe God for a miracle. Bitterness will pollute it. That's why he said it's the third guard. It's the most important guard. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. How do I get the bitterness out of me? Pastor, somebody hurt me. Somebody really did offend me, and what they did was wrong, and I didn't agree with it. What do I do with it? How do I get it out of me? Well, let's start by looking at how you got it into you. When somebody does something that upsets you or offends you, what do you do? You rehearse it over and 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 over again in your mind. Then you call your complaining friend that you love to complain to. Everybody's got one. They're in your cell phone right now. Your best complaining buddy, and you tell them over and 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 over again about it. And then you call your sister or your mama or your cousin or anybody that'll listen, and you tell them about it over and over and over and over again. So you've spoken out of your mouth about the offense 5,000 times. And if you want to get better, you got to start speaking forgiveness. I forgive them and I release it. I plead the blood of Jesus over it and I let it go. Now, when you say, I forgive them, I release it, I plead the blood of Jesus over it and I let it go, it's not going to get better the first time you say it. 
because you said the negative stuff 5,000 times. You got to go back and say the positive stuff just as much as you said the negative stuff. And and the key is you got to say it until you feel it. Most people, listen, listen, most people want to feel it and then say, I forgive you. No, 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 no. That doesn't work like that. You have to speak it by faith until you feel it. Okay. You got to let the bitterness go. And then the next thing you can do is you can pour more scripture into your heart because the scripture will dissolve bitterness down on the inside of you. You'd be surprised at how many people that love Jesus that are saved but don't read the word of God every day. They don't read the word of God when they wake up in the morning and they don't read the word of God when they go to sleep at night. They believe the word. They love the church. They love to hear the word preached, but they don't really put it in their eye gate and in their ear gate every day. And so the next verse that he that he writes here in Psalms chapter one relates to how not to sit in the seat of the scornful. What's he say? Delight in the word of the Lord. And in his word, meditate day and night. What does meditate mean? It means to roll it around over and over again in your mind. Just over and over and over again. Well, wait a second. That's what you do with the offense when they come, right? That's what you do when you're upset about something, right? You just roll it around over and over and over. You look at it from every angle. You replay the conversation in your mind, and you, and you, and you find out what you wish you would have said. You ever get in a tough situation or an argument with somebody, and you think of all the good stuff to say on your, on your way home from it, you know? What are you doing? You're meditating on it. You're going back over it. You're dissecting every angle of it, meditating on the offense day and night. He says, don't do that. Meditate on the word of God day and night. And the word of God will dilute. The word of God will dissolve. The word of God will flush out the offense in your heart. It's the third guard to your grace. What are they again? He said, don't accept ungodly counsel. If you refuse to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, it will guard your grace. He said, don't stand in the pathology or the habitual lifestyles of sinners. Then he said, don't sit in the seat of the scornful or the bitter. If you do these three things, you've raised up three guards for your grace. And to people that do that, the next verse, he says, if you do it, you'll be like a tree planted. By the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Listen to me. Listen to me. The enemy's after your ground in this season, he's after the place where you're planted. He wants to do everything he can to uproot you from the access you have by faith into this grace where you stand like a mighty oak. You are planted in the courts of the Lord for a reason. You are planted in a position of grace for a reason, but the enemy wants to uproot you. The enemy wants to do whatever he can to cause you to disconnect. 
He wants to do whatever he can to cause you to pull back and to not be as close and to not be as connected as you once were. And you don't realize the danger that you are in. Because if the enemy can cause the tree to be disconnected from the source, from the root system, he can cause a mighty tree to begin to slowly wither away. I don't want to see you wither. I don't want to see you begin to dry up spiritually. I don't want to see you begin to dry up. God's been so good to you. God has blessed you. God has opened the floodgates. God has covered you. God has protected you. God's been kind to you. He's been merciful to you. God took some of you. God took some of you from a very low place and raised you all the way up. Some of us know we wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for the Lord. But the enemy has been strategically attacking you as it relates to this position of grace that you stand in. And as a church, we must be so careful and so vigilant to lift up those three guards. Don't accept ungodly counsel. If you have to unplug your TV, don't Pour that stuff into your spirit. Don't let people fill you with fear. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Then look at your lifestyle. What are some modifications? What are some things that the Holy Spirit has convicted you about? What are some things that you need to cut off from yourself? What doesn't need to stay with you? What habits do you have that you need to cut off? God wants to purify you, not so he can save you. You're saved because of what Jesus did, not because of what you do, but God wants to purify you so he can use you. He has a plan. He has a purpose for you, and his purpose is better than your purpose for yourself. And then don't sit in the seat of the scornful and the bitter. It will cause you to slowly rot on the inside. Keep your spirit fresh. Keep your spirit clean. Keep your spirit pure. And keep looking forward. I know it's so hard to find any optimism or good news right now anywhere in our world. But I've never seen God fail his people. I've never seen God. I've never seen him drop the ball. I've never seen him fail to do what he promised he would do. And if he said, behold, I know the plans I have for you, plans of good and not evil, to give you a future and a hope, I know our future's bright. I know our future's going to be prosperous. I know our future is good because I know that God is faithful to do what he said he would do. And at our church... At our church, we have no idea, you know, what's going to happen with the government and their restrictions or lack thereof or loosening up or tightening up. Really, it seems to change every day, doesn't it? It seems to change. The information, when you do turn it on to get it, seems to change every day. At first, they told you remember, do you remember like, like 13, 14 days ago, they said, stop wearing masks. It's more dangerous if you wear a mask. And then now everyone's supposed to wear a mask. The, the world is crazy. They're, they're, they're chasing their tail. They're running in circles. I don't think they know what to do. 
and, and so I have no idea what's going to happen as far as the, the rollout and how long this thing lasts, but I do know that, that we're going to make every effort to be safe and to keep you covered and to keep you strong. But the truth of the matter is, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. And except the Lord watch the tower, except the Lord guard the city, the watchman lies awake in vain. Our best efforts to defend ourselves and protect ourselves are worth nothing if he doesn't stand up for us. And I know you probably forgot the message I preached in February, but I've been speaking it every day. It's still as true today. In fact, it's more true than it was when I preached it. God is my defense. God is my defense. And I don't mean to offend you, but if my God can't see, keep me safe, what in the hell is a mask going to do? God is. God is. God is. God is. God is. God is mine. God is my defense. God is my defense. I believe God is your defense. So right now, in the name of Jesus, if you have anything you need to make right in your heart with the Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would direct you as you do that. Right now, in the name of Jesus, Romans chapter 10 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord in faith will be saved. If you call on the name of Jesus right now in faith, salvation begins to flow to you. If you call on the name of Jesus right now by faith, forgiveness and mercy begins to flow to you. And also that wonderful access by faith into this position of grace where we stand and hope in the glory of God. That begins to flow to you. Father, for every person who needs to connect to you, for every person that needs forgiveness, for every person that needs to forgive and to let something go and get something right in their spirit that's not been right, I pray your Holy Spirit would direct them, would bless them, and strengthen them as they do it right now in the name of Jesus. If you feel glad that you came to church today, honk your horn real loud.
sweep through this place and touch your people wherever they are. In the name of Jesus. tell you something about us. The sides, family, we're absolutely crazy. When, when trouble comes, we don't start looking for a place to hide and how to do less. We start trying to find out how we can do more. During this pandemic, we thought it would be a great time not to postpone our plans to remodel our whole church. We thought it'd be a great time to move it up and do it earlier. And that's, that's, what, that's what we've done. We, we, had it, we had it planned out in stages where we were gonna do this stage and then this stage and then this stage. And when all this craziness came at us, we just said, you know what, let's just do it all. And um, we were going to wait a few months to do our pews, but we decided just to tear them all out and to get these brand new chairs, and they are beautiful. Can you see it? And God was so, God was so kind to us. God moved on, on a few people Wednesday night. We, had, we, we needed 750 of these chairs, but Wednesday night, Christian World bought 50 of them just in one service. That was amazing. And I, I, I know many of you have already given your tithe. If you haven't given your tithe yet, you can prepare that now. But I want to ask 20 of you that God has blessed. I just want to ask 20 of you that God has been good to, that God has been kind to, that God has made sure that you have had no lack and have had no needs that, that you couldn't meet. I want to ask 20 of you to join with me and buy four chairs today. They're $50 each. That would be a, a $200 offering that, I, that I'm asking you for. And I know not everybody can do that. That's why I only ask for 20. But 
I want to ask 20 of you to step out in faith and believe God. I believe what Pastor John prophesied earlier today. I believe when, when you purchase a seat for his auditorium, for his house, a seat that people for many years will come in and they'll sit in these seats we're buying and they'll hear the gospel and they'll give their life to Jesus and they'll have their families put back together and their lives put back together. I believe if you sow that kind of seed to give someone a seat in the house of the Lord that God will give you a new seat of authority, a new seat of promotion, a new seat of vision and direction in your life. And I just want to ask 20 of you, I just want to ask 20 of you, if you'll help me do that, a $200 seed to, uh, to buy four of these chairs. In fact, if you're one of those 20, if you're hearing me talk about this and it, it strikes your heart, you, you want to be a part of it, would you just wave at me out of your car window? If you're one of those, thank you, thank you, thank you. I see you there in the back. I see you over there on the side. Thank you, thank you. If you'll sow a $200 seed to help us get some chairs and and if you can't buy four, would you consider buying two? That's $100. If you can't buy two, would you consider at least buying one? That's, that's $50. I want to get all of these chairs so that when they do finally allow us to open up and start having church again, that, that everyone that wants to come in will have a seat. If you're watching me online and you want to help us, you're saying, I don't, I don't want to leave my house right now well there will be a time that you are allowed to leave your house and that you do feel comfortable coming back and I I want there to be a seat for you I challenge you to sew and buy one of these chairs whatever you can do whatever you can do in fact even if you can't give 50 to buy a whole chair buy half a chair $25 I believe everybody on this parking lot today could do something towards these chairs. I'm believing God for a miracle. I want to get the rest of them. We got 50. I want to get the other 700. And I believe God will help us do that. If you'll be obedient to the Holy Spirit and you'll have a heart for God's house, I believe he will bless you as you do it. So if you have your tithe and you have whatever special offering you're giving today toward these chairs, I want you to gather it right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I speak your blessing over your people as they give into the kingdom of God. I speak your blessing over your people as they put their heart towards your house. Lord, we know there's a future coming. We know it's not always going to be like this, and our church wants to be ready. We want your house to be the very best it can be. Our heart wants your house to be the very best it can be. Thank you for speaking to people and giving them a heart to pour into your house. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.